Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. You may have uh, seen at lunchtime the sign in the back table that today is the birthday for Insight Meditation Society. It's the 39th birthday of this place. So it was inspiring to me to hear that. And I came here myself for the first time uh, 25 years ago, sitting down on the floor, facing this direction. (laughs) So through all that time, there have been, you know, like roughly this group of people, almost 100 people, almost all the time here, coming to do retreat, doing practice, coming, going, sitting, walking. So I think I find it inspiring to consider that all of us are actually being a part of that stream. And then if you have an understanding of the scope of the range of Dharma practice as it's come across thousands of years really and many continents, actually all part of this much larger stream that I find very inspiring. So I'd like to reflect a little bit with you about the qualities of the heart and mind that we're practicing with. And we've talked a lot about friendly awareness, this awareness with friendship. And because I liked so much our description of the retreat, I'll read it again. Uh, So can the qualities of friendliness, care, joy, and balance create the right conditions for the deepening of wisdom? Or are they simply beautiful expressions of it? Or both? We can open fully to the life around us and inside of us through the quality of this connection. We can discover for ourselves how living with a sense of fullness and freedom might be possible. So today I'd like to focus particularly on the qualities of care and balance. So we've talked about this friendly awareness, bringing friendly awareness. And what about the care or compassionate awareness? What does that mean and how do we relate to life in that way? And then what about this balance or equanimous awareness? What would that be like? How how would that impact differently the way that we exist, the way that we experience ourselves and others. So I'll start in my favorite place to start in the Dharma talks, which is to talk about, you know, what is the Dharma? What is this this Dharma that we are practicing? So one of the translations of Dharma is about the truth of the way things are or actually nature. So what we're doing is actually using these practices to come into connection and understanding of nature, of what's actually true about our lives, about the world, 
So now nature includes snow, <laughs> snowstorms, the weather. It includes our bodies and minds. It includes the physical laws of experience. It includes basically all of the different aspects of interaction of body, mind, physical, mental. So these are governed by different laws. You know, this is a lawful universe. And the more we can understand this and actually live in alignment with this, then the happier, the more content, the less friction and suffering there will be for us. So the metaphor I like for this is understanding like the law of gravity. So when you're born, you don't necessarily understand this. And you can see babies checking this out. Yes, they're sitting in their high chairs and they might start to like drop things off to see what happens. Right? So, you know, it's like, well, what if I drop this fork or bowl of peas? Right? Like, oh, it falls to the ground. So you see that, right? And then it's like, well, what if, what if I do it on this side? You know, like, oh, also that same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and like, hey, what if you're not watching? <laughs> then you see also, right? It falls like that. So then you start to get the, the pattern. You start to discern this pattern. And then you understand, like, oh, you know, for some reason, whenever you put something in midair, it's drawn to the ground. And... You don't even need to know why. You don't need to need to know the mathematical formula for that. You don't need to know, like, is someone running that or something, you know? <laughs> it's just actually like some basic understanding about the way things work. And then you can live your life in a way of understanding, like, oh, if I try to play this glass of water, better idea not to place it in midair. Like everything else, it will be drawn to the ground. So I'll place it on this table, and then there will be less mess, spilled water, broken glass, etc. And if by chance sometime, you know, mistakenly something will get knocked off like that, I understand what happened. So there's possible to just pick it up, put it back, minus the additional mental drama of, like, why did that happen? Why me? Why now? Why is it... uh, because already you've understood this, right? You've understood this, and it's not personal. You know, it's, it's not personal, it's just the way things are. So I suggest to you that similarly, there are actually laws about the way things work that we don't understand yet. You know, there, there are these uh, understandings about nature, particularly pertaining to the body and the mind, that we're actually not living in accordance with. And the result of this is uh, something the Buddha called dukkha. So dukkha is uh, translated variously as strain, stress, suffering, difficulty, unsatisfactoriness. And it covers the wide range from uh, big-time suffering, like death and uh, sickness, aging, all of this stuff out of our control. As soon as we're born, we're subject to all of this. No one can escape. And then everything else, not getting what you want in small to large ways, getting things you don't want delivered to you, also is this dukkha. 
basically living in a, a world in which everything is changing, everything in the body and mind is changing, and in which all of these things are not in our control, uh, leads to uh, difficulty for us. It leads to some stress, some strain as we try to navigate the world. So as we, we sit here in retreat, you know, I was saying it's like a lab. So it's like a lab to check out the mind and how we relate to the world, how we relate to the, the body, how we relate to circumstance of all kinds. And you can start to see like what our general strategies are for finding safety, finding contentedness, uh, finding peace in this life are. You know, they become revealed rather quickly really uh, through the practice when we start to pay attention. So among what we can find is that uh, one of our leading strategies often is uh, trying to find pleasant circumstance for ourselves. Like just machinating in small and large ways to make things comfortable, to make things accord to our wishes, uh, physically, mentally, weather-wise, everything. You know, and that ranges from like, I want to go do walking meditation in the perfect spot, to uh, I want to have the perfect lunch, I want to sit in the perfect place, I want to be not too hot, not too cold, you know. I want everyone around to act exactly how I want. You know, I want to put my shoes in this place, not that place, in the shoe room, you know. And this is pertaining to the retreat life, but even from the thoughts that arise in our mind, we can see the ways in which we're constantly machinating about this, concocting. Like a lot of the the thoughts that come through are about ourselves, our circumstances outside, our relationships, our work. And they're all like some version of trying to like concoct a pleasant experience for ourselves often. You know, a a stable, pleasant uh, place for us. And as we start to see that, there's really like a poignancy to that. You know, we can see it's, it's not going to be a winning strategy in, in the world in which things are not in our control. So this, just this itself, just seeing this in, in and of itself can bring a lot of compassion. You know, we can have some compassion when we face this level of insecurity that is really inherent in our lives as human beings. And then if we can extrapolate out, we can see like, oh, this is not just true for me, this is actually true for all living beings. All people, in fact, all animals, you know, subject to these same forces. So bringing some compassionate awareness to our life includes being able to open to the suffering in whatever way it is presenting itself so both internally and externally. So this means expanding our capacity to be there with difficulty, with the stuff that we don't really want to see that shows up. So physical pain, so unpleasant mental states, 
thoughts that arise that do not accord with our sense of who we want to be or who we would like to think of ourselves as. So there's one part of practice that's really expanding our ability to be with difficulty. And being able to be with that with some sense of warmth, openness, care, uh, compassion, you could say. So as I was describing it last night, there's uh, these Brahma-viharas, these qualities of the heart and mind are kind of uh, like roadmap for the heart. You know, it's like, okay, here, generally speaking, can have a sense of friendliness, kindness, at the very least non-aversion <laughs> towards experience. And then when faced with suffering, there's a slight shift towards this warmth of uh, compassion, of caring. So recognizing that there's suffering there and meeting that with awareness. And from that awareness, trusting that appropriate response can arise. So what else comes up besides this compassionate response? So the untrained mind and heart can tend to veer in many different directions. Among the common ones are wanting to push away something that's difficult in ourselves and others. You're not wanting to see this. So having sat here for some uh, day and a half, two days now, we've probably seen a lot of the antics of the mind. And uh, one of the things you notice when you actually have to sit there and observe the mind and when many of the usual escape routes are cut off from uh, you know, not being able to watch TV or uh, drink alcohol or email people or you know, the usual, then it's just like the stark situation of the mind becomes revealed. And uh, a lot of it is very uh, actually chaotic. So as sometimes said, the mind has no shame. You know, it will think anything. <laughs> anything, you know, really. A uh, wide variety of, uh, of thoughts will arise. And as you start to see that, there can hopefully begin to be some measure of freedom of seeing like, uh, wow, maybe I don't have to believe every single thing that appears in the mind. Maybe I don't have to be driven by every single thought that pops up. Because a lot of it is really just habit patterns, projections. You know, stuff that is not necessarily in accordance with the truth, with what's actually going on. Also, you will have noticed that everything that comes through the mind is only temporary. So this can be very interesting to notice too. And it's more obvious on retreat, but this is true all over in life. The mind can be very obsessed with one specific thing for some time. You know, it could be even uh, some pain in the body. It could be like trying to telepathically get the teacher to ring the bell sooner, you know. 
then the next thing happens and suddenly that whole drama has dissolved and there's like a whole new thing. It's like, what's for lunch, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so see this, like how these different worlds get created and dissolved, created and dissolved, created and dissolved, you know. So as we start to track this, we can see maybe like, oh, it's, it's all just happening in some, uh, in some way that I don't, I don't have to believe each of these things. You know, any more than I have to, when I turn on the radio, I have to believe everything that I hear on the radio. You know, I turn the channel, I have to believe that one, that one, that one. Like, it's all just coming through. So there's some measure of freedom that can come from seeing this. So the mind of projection. So you can notice how we make things up about people around us. You know, the projection of someone's great beauty or... uh, it's a common phenomenon of the vipassana romance where someone imagines, uh, for some reason takes a little hankering to someone on retreat because of some quite incidental thing like their socks or how they walk and then, uh, and then we're in love, you know. Then we've never talked to this person. We don't know anything about them. And then can spend a lot of time imagining things about them, uh, projecting our life with them, you know, hours and hours in this or the other side of it is we take some, you know, uh, dislike to someone, perhaps also for their socks or some other inconsequential <laughs> thing, you know. And then the mind projecting out, like how this person is difficult and they're purposely putting our shoes in a different place and <laughs> they're purposely sitting in the place we wanted to sit, you know. So it's helpful to notice this because the truth is like we're making it all up. <laughs> you know, and there's some freedom that can come from, from getting a, a handle on this a little bit, you know, getting a some clear picture, just like with the law of gravity, that these things are just arising and passing away. And we don't have to believe them. We don't have to be ruled by them. And as we can tune into this with some wisdom, also can come a sense of compassion. So Nyosho Ken Rinpoche, a Tibetan teacher, says, rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought, like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara. This exhausted mind, you know, bandied about by this projection, that projection, constantly swirling. And once we see this about the way that our own mind works, then we can also see, like, oh, this is also true of all beings who are not fully awakened. You know, we're all being bandied about in this way, beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought. So when you see like that, you can only feel compassion. You know, compassion is the natural result of direct connection with awareness, with suffering. when we, we encounter suffering, it's helpful to practice with it with a kind of middle way approach. So neither trying to push it away, pretend it's not happening. You know, I am strong, I am beyond this, I will soldier through. But also not falling into self-pity or over-identification, you know, creating a story about this, like drama queening it up, you could say. 
So just meeting difficulty as it is, opening to it, compassion can arise. And the opposite of this compassion is cruelty. And we can be aware when that arises also. This is among the things that we might not like to see that's there, but it's good. See what's there. Just see with honesty. Even if you would never tell anyone what this is that has arisen, at least be honest with yourself. It's a good thing to cultivate in life and practice. The one that's the near enemy of this compassionate awareness, compassion itself, is pity. So pity is like when we feel sorry for ourselves or we feel sorry for someone else. So in that, it's like a separation, like I'm up here and you're down there. You know, I feel sorry for you. Compassion is this direct connection. I'm with you in this. We are together. I can feel this with you. So as we observe the the machinations of the mind, the strategies, the best guess of the unawakened mind as to how to be happy, we can try to bring this compassion and awareness to it. You know, feel it wriggling about, trying to create pleasant sensations for ourselves, trying to create safety in an unsafe world. You know, bringing this sense of love and warmth. And not needing to hate it. You know, not needing to hate the mind or hate the heart that's throwing up its best guess as to how to survive and make things okay. And then the other side, we have the uh, equanimous practice, equanimous awareness, the sense of balance. So it's connected to compassionate, caring awareness. How can we bring a sense of balance to being present or to our life? So one is around the range of uh, effort. And it's an interesting one to pay attention to on retreat. It's like, well, what's a balanced effort look like? And many times when we're beginning or even at different times in retreat, we'll find like, well, the effort tends to go between like zero and a hundred, you could say. And sometimes we're like straining, trying, but really rigid. And then sometimes that tires us out and we go back to zero, kind of collapse, tired, exhausted, not trying at all. And as we practice, we can in some ways start to get a handle on what that's like and then start to feel all the ones in between. And then the balanced effort looks more like some movement, because in the changing world, balance is not like planting a flag somewhere and standing there. It's actually more like surfing on the moving water. But the movement can be, you know, within this range as opposed to flopping back and forth all the way like that. So the balanced awareness also includes having a spaciousness of mind, a spaciousness and a groundedness. 
And that spaciousness and groundedness includes being able to be spacious and grounded with things that are unbalanced, you could say. So for example, something that uh, is a state of mind and heart that arises is the state of doubt. So some sense arises in us like, oh, I don't know if I'm doing this right, or I don't know if I could really do this. I don't know if this is the right practice. I don't know if I should have come here. So then we kind of get get caught in the roiling intellectual activity of trying to figure it out with our mind, which pretty much often leads nowhere. <laughs> you know, it kind of leads in a spiral and you find yourself, when you observe the mind doing this, uh, it's like the chow- cow chewing a cud. It's like you chew on this and then maybe for a little while it gets digested to some seeming stomach and then it gets regurgitated and you chew on it again, right? <laughs> I think the cows have four stomachs, so it happens over and over. But sometimes with these patterns of mind, it seems like there's like a hundred stomachs, you know. (laughs) It keeps getting regurgitated and it's not getting uh, digested at all. Like nothing new is being provided by this pattern of thought at all. So the thing to do then is to see if we can bring awareness, a balanced awareness to just knowing this and Here's where you know, curiosity investigation is really our friend. You know, whatever it is that seems to show up, get interested in that. So, okay, oh, this is doubt. If we could recognize that, even label that pattern, this is doubt. And doubt is like this. And feel what that's like. You know, feel the movement of mind, the unsettledness of body of mind as that appears. You know, feel what that feels like in the, in the belly, in the heart. Start to be able to read sooner and sooner the thoughts that comprise that. So then it's possible to have a balanced awareness of even some seemingly unbalanced state. So this is true actually of all of the different weather patterns that comes through that seem to trip us up. So sleepiness can bring some awareness to that, get interested in that restlessness of mind. It's just like a weather pattern, like the blizzard, you know, like a windstorm, like a rainstorm. So feel like, what does that feel like in the mind, this restlessness? What does it feel like in the body? You know, get to know that, get interested in it, get curious about it. So the reason to do this is because this stuff shows up in our hearts and minds and this stuff drives us. And because we haven't understood it fully, you know, we haven't fully aligned with what's true, we really get bandied about by this, both on retreat and off retreat. You know, we get driven by different mind states that we're unable to bring awareness to, that we're unable to know the nature of. So another uh, simple one is the state of boredom. So sometimes in retreat people report like uh, boredom, 
particularly I would say actually with the walking meditation. And I'm a big proponent of walking meditation. So I always ask, those of you in my groups know, I like to ask about like, how's the walking meditation? And uh, people often don't like report on it that much, like what happens in it. But sometimes when pushed, people are like, well, I do it sometimes, but it just seems really boring, you know? (laughs) And as I was trying to explain today, like, you know, it's actually designed to be like that. (laughs) And, uh, you know, sometimes I like to demonstrate actually walking back and forth because people don't even believe, like, yes, that's actually what we're asking you to do for 45 minutes. Like, surely you're not asking me to do that for 45 minutes, walk back and forth. Like, no, that is exactly what we're asking you to do. Yeah. And part, part of the reason is because uh, these exercises, these really simple exercises are designed to reveal the nature of the mind and body. So when you're walking back and forth like this, you can really be under no illusion that you're going anywhere, right? You know, I mean, all you're doing is going there and turning around and coming right back. And yet, then that reveals different aspects and patterns we have. So for example, sometimes there's a sense of hurrying, rushing. You know, like a rushing to the end of the path. And it's so funny to see that, because even though we know, like, what's going to happen there? Like, you're going to turn around and come right back. (laughs) And then guess what's going to happen there? (laughs) But so then it's like, oh, this is just a pattern of mind. Like, it makes no sense that this is, there's no... Uh, utility in this at all. So then you get to observe, like notice this as a pattern of mind that's arising selflessly, unscripted, and is driving us. So, okay, good. This is a, a way we can observe and learn about this kind of craving, you know, this kind of leaning. And I usually we get caught in that thinking like, oh, the leaning is telling me that freedom is at the end, at the end goal. Now the truth that we can discern from this is actually, oh, the freedom has nothing to do with with what the leaning is saying the object is. The problem, the strain, the suffering itself is in the leaning. It's the pattern of mind itself. And in fact, there's like a, a kind of insert photo here quality to this pattern. You know, it's like this leaning in mind for when I get my next job, I'll be happy. When I get the next relationship, I'll be happy. When this pain in my knee goes, I'll be happy. Something like that, this leaning of the mind. And sometimes when you pay attention, you notice sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. And it doesn't stop this pattern from happening. You know, it's not true. The thing it's telling you is actually not true. And the promise of it, if you believe that content of it is not true. So notice how this happens even in one given sitting period too. You're like sitting there and there often is some kind of underlying view, whether articulated or not. And it's like, my meditation would be good if only for this blank. Yeah. So if only not for this memory that keeps coming up or this pain in my body that's coming up or the person next to me who's breathing like I don't want them to breathe, uh, or the temperature of the room, uh, or the amount of light here, or the distractedness of the mind. 
you know, my meditation would be good if not for a blank. So check that out. Notice when that happens. It's a very insidious pattern that arises in many different ways. And sometimes it's like, oh, I want to be having the experience that person seems to be having, right? Comparing mind, you know. As I don't want what's on, what's on my plate. I want what's on that one's plate, right? Projection. So notice that. That's another of the strategy for projected pleasant experience. It's actually the leaning that's the problem. Is never actually going to be the content of what's there. Everything can be met with awareness. Everything is fair game for the practice. Every single thing from an itch to a thought to the sound of the heater dinging, everything is completely possible fodder for complete awakening. It's very hard to believe, but it's true. Because it's not actually about the content of our experience. So here's another uh, quote about meditation practice that I like. When engaging in meditation practice, we should feel it to be as natural as eating, breathing, and defecating. It should not become a specialized or formal event bloated with seriousness and solemnity. So this is Dilgo Kyense Rinpoche, a Tibetan teacher also. So yeah, we have definitely you know, certain forms that are helpful and uh, reverence for the practice. But when you look at the schedule, basically what we're doing is doing nothing in a variety of postures all day <laughs> and trying to pay attention. Right? And so this way that's the form, but then really whatever arises is okay. You know, and we work with that. And notice this tendency, like in, in Dharma practice, like, well, I want what's on his plate. Like, I want what's on his, you know. And it seems to work that you don't get a different plate until you eat what's on your plate. <laughs> so, you know, there's resistance, and then notice, okay, resistance. There's a pushing away, a squirming, until finally it's like, oh, maybe the knee pain is what I, is here to be present with. You know, maybe this memory is what's here to be present with. Maybe this heartbreak is what's here to be present with. So can I meet with that with some balanced awareness as best I can? So we start to see then what's true about our life, what's true about the mind, what's true about the heart. Now here we're primarily focusing on this direct awareness and using awareness as the tool, you could say, as a technique, as a practice, with this quality of heartfulness, too. But sometimes sort of checking the perspective can be helpful, too. So both for compassion and for balance. So for example, many times when you're roiling in some uh, state of suffering about something, Check out and see if there's not in this moment some story of myself going on. 
So almost all the time when there's some state of extended suffering that seems to be going on, we're caught in some story of me and my problem. And when you actually are able to take a breath, take a moment, you can see like, oh, actually what's going on is just sitting here breathing quietly. No one's really bugging me except my own mind. And it's actually just the story in the mind that's causing the suffering. So actually, if I thought about myself less, I would have no problem. <laughs> you know, it's, kind of, it's a stunning thing to notice. Check this out and see if this is true. Yeah. Or we don't see our own suffering in the perspective, you know, the broader perspective of the suffering of all different beings. So we get very caught up in our own suffering, you know, our own personal story. And in this room, there's a hundred different stories. And everything has happened. You know, if you take collectively what's here, you know, people have gone through sickness and death. And people have been diagnosed with illness. People have lost jobs. People have gained jobs. People have had good fortune. People have lost all their money. Everything. So that's the big picture story, you know, of life. So can we expand out and, and hold that in some, with some grace? And some of it is being able to see through our story into awareness of, oh, it's not just me. You know, whatever it is that I'm thinking has happened to me that's a problem, it's at the same time actually happening to many, many people. So here's where compassion and balance can kind of meet. And sometimes I think like, okay, when I'm suffering with this, whatever that is, like, okay, I have a sprained ankle, or there's this breakup, or uh, struggling with addiction, or, you know, it's kind of like this, this, there's this kaleidoscope of suffering in samsara, in this vast world. And okay, right now, this kaleidoscope of suffering, it's sort of like, this is the color, this is the flavor that is appearing. And at the same time, I am part of this fellowship of this particular suffering. And then it shifts again, and then it shifts again. So meaning, anytime that you are, for example, uh, lonely, you're actually a part of a fellowship of probably at least a million people who are lonely in different circumstances. And if you're able to kind of reflect and open to that, sometimes that actually helps to bring this sense of spaciousness and balance. So it's not just me. If you have back pain, you're part of the fellowship of back pain. You know, unfortunately, many, many people have that. In fact, animals, sometimes you can see like horses, dogs, you know, other animals also have have back pain, physical pain. The fellowship of uh, someone in my family has died. You know, every day there are people who have people in their family who have died. So somehow tapping into both one's own suffering, but also opening up to seeing like, oh, this is part of the human story. You know, it can help us to have more balance with that. Like, okay, this is what's here now. Now you can also do the same thing with joys, with great successes, but usually we're not as motivated to work on that. (laughs) 
But it's helpful also, you know, it actually is helpful also similarly when uh, great good fortune happens to appreciate like, oh yeah, okay, this has landed here now. And now I'm part of the kaleidoscope of people who have won the lottery, fallen in love, gotten a brownie for lunch and happy about that. (laughs) And then the next day it'll shift (laughs) and something different, you know. So just seeing in this vastness of it, shift, 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 shift. So the promise of this path is that there is some happiness and contentedness that is beyond our usual strategy for aligning conditions to be exactly how we want them to be. So there is some possibility of peace of happiness that is beyond changing circumstance. And the path to this is in gaining insight into the way things are, the truth of the way things are. You could say sort of truing up the system, you know, in alignment with these laws. So the benefit from this comes both through the practice that you're doing here as part of the stream of practitioners over hundreds of years, and even in this location, decades now, of developing insight and of greater alignment while we're here. And then also through the training that we do here that will serve us when we go home. So as a small measure of this, uh, you know, back to the, the walking meditation, when we're walking back and forth, I've had some moments in this, uh, of practice where suddenly there's complete contentness with just taking this step. And, and suddenly there's an insight like, wow, like, I'm completely happy now. You know, there's no sense of, of lack or anything missing or anything need to be different. So in fact, all the money I, could, I had or any possessions I have, everything could be like, poof, gone. And it actually doesn't matter. You know, there's some realization of, of that in the simplicity of practice is so profound and it's very freeing. It's like, wow, maybe my ideas of everything I need to be happy uh, might just be that. You know, maybe it's actually much simpler. There's something different here. A possibility of freedom can be revealed in that moment. And even if in the next moment there's discontent, you've seen that already, right? So it's already disrupted our usual strategy a little bit. And then in the continuation also outside, you know, whatever it is that we gain, the insight, the freedom, the wisdom, that will then inform your life. That will be for the benefit of everyone who you encounter through all of the relationships you have, through the work that you do. My favorite uh, quote these days about practice is actually from uh, Bruce Lee, martial artist. <laughs> and he says, under duress, we do not rise to the level of our expectations, but we fall to the level of our practice. Under duress, we do not rise to the level of our expectations, but we fall to the level of our practice. So it makes sense, you know, when we're surprised by something, when the unexpected arises, how can we meet that 
Yeah, what is it that we bring to that? So we don't know, really. We don't know how we will meet great tragedy or difficulty in life or great opportunity either. But the best thing we can do for that possibility is to practice now. And we have great conditions here for that, great good fortune and great meditation weather. So I'm very happy to be here with you. We're actually very fortunate, I was reflecting, just to have a warm place to be also, right? A warm and safe place, which is not true for all people or animals. And to have people feeding us and supporting us and uh, opportunity for continued development. So thank you for your practice and I encourage you to continue on. So also as we shift to the next thing, which is the eating meditation. You can start to feel into what it's like to have some continuity, even in the in-between times. So even as you shift, you know, going, getting up, putting on shoes, going to the food line, serving the food, just with this gentle awareness, this gentle awareness that is as natural as eating, breathing, and defecating. And just bringing the practice of this kind awareness in very gently to all of those activities. Notice if you're sort of trying too hard, try and let go. And then the whole day can be continuity of this development of training that will serve you. Thank you. <laughs> 